Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's Beef Watch Podcast is a producer's perspective, and I have the privilege of being joined by Aaron Martinez, who manages a branch operation together with her husband near Hyannis, Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here, Aaron. Aaron, before we dive into today's topic, which is going to be focused on thinking about developing and executing a drought plan, tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there at the ranch. Okay. Well, Tom and I came out here from uh, Idaho, where we were both working for Simplot and started working at the Flying A. Before that, um, I was an ag teacher in southwest Colorado. That's where I grew up and raised my daughters who are both getting their master's degrees this year. And um, when we moved out here, uh, Tom was familiar with this landscape. He grew up in Mullen, Nebraska. uh, So that was very beneficial to me since I didn't know anything about windmills. Once we started in Thedford at the smaller ranch, uh, things started going pretty well. And we were asked to manage the headquarters in Hyannis, which is called the Dumbbell Ranch. And it's all under the banner of Flying A Cattle Company. They also have a farm in Red Oak, Iowa. I am getting close to graduating with my master's degree in integrated resource management through CSU. And it's an agricultural degree that is much like uh, teaching ag. It's kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. It has really, really augmented what I'm doing here as a manager. The ranch owner and Tom and I have really formed a great relationship based on transparency and good communication. She is always encouraging me to take opportunities to uh, learn more. And that's been easy to do in Nebraska with all of the opportunities through the extension service. And so a couple of years ago, I think it's three years ago now, um, I took part in the ranch practicum which was terrific. I I learned so much uh, about range production and, you know, just uh, reproduction, cattle nutrition. Then, of course, when you came into our class and started talking about unit costs of production, uh, the finance end really interests me. And so I did join you over by Burwell for the unit cost of production uh, two-day seminar and came home and, and Anna, Anna and I have been able to uh, definitely dive into the ranch finances and make better informed decisions for the Flying A Cattle Company. And so currently now um, in Hyannis, we have about 16,000 acres and 720 cows, commercial black Angus cows. And then we also we're planning this year to take in some uh, yearling cattle and uh, because of the situation with the drought that has um, been terminated as of the 2nd of April. So that's kind of where we are. So you mentioned a little bit the drought and talk about drought planning, your thinking as you think about the ranch, think about drought, and then how do you develop a drought plan And then you mentioned you've already executed part of your drought plan for 2022, but just kind of walk through with us your 
your planning process? How do you analyze where you're at? And then how do you use that information to begin to make decisions? Well, um, you know, with us being here for almost four years, we have definitely seen a big variety of precipitation amounts. And uh, the first year we were here, which was full year, was 2019. Uh, of course, we all remember there was a lot of water. It just never seemed like it could stop raining. And as we've progressed, you know, we've seen seen that changing. Um, I started to get pretty unnerved last fall um, as we were doing fall works and helping the U-Cross Ranch, different things like that. Um, of just, you know, I, it seemed like every day was a pretty good day. You know, you didn't have to bundle up and you weren't fighting fighting the elements too much. So in December, I really wanted to find more information. You know, how do I come up with a drought plan? That's not something I had ever done. And um, I, I just got on the internet, uh, looked at a lot of UNL uh, resources. I even reached out to uh, some other extension agents. And then um, last fall, I had been talking to a producer down in Thedford, and Lemoyne Daly had talked to me about going through the 2012 drought and the importance of stockpiling some grass um, and, you know, obviously trying not to, you know, feed through a drought. Um, and and Lemoyne was was really instrumental in in sending me um, his drought plan that he had previously done for that time period, and that's when I was introduced to the trigger dates. It just made a lot of sense to me, and and really appreciated how that was set up. You know, I mean it it helped take a little bit of emotion out of it for me. It, it was like, okay, this is. You know, you got to take stock of everything before this trigger date and when this approaches. And if your precipitation level isn't, you know, where it needs to be, these are some of the decisions you need to make. Um, another thing that I did is I got back on um, it, you know, and, and re-looked at, revisited my grazing plan and, you know, had, had used the web soil survey to you know, go in and, and look at our property specifically because I wanted to hone in on what my production was on my upland range as compared to my sub-irrigated meadows. And I had seen on there where you could you know, look at a lower precipitation year. So I developed a drought plan that went along with that. And so, so those were some of the things that I had, had brought together. Um, in February, I, I really started to get nervous. Uh, as I said, we had contracted to bring in um, a lot of yearlings. We sold our calves to the neighbor, but we kept them here. We had them through December, January, March, you know, and then we were going to bring on another 400. So we would have totaled about 900 head. And in February, I started thinking that wasn't going to be possible. So with the trigger dates and what I thought our forage production would look like, you know, I went to the owner and, and, and then Tom and her and I and the accountant sat down after I had a rough draft of a, of a drought plan. And because we, we just, we wanted to be proactive and not reactive. So as the 1st of April came, um, that was a hard call to make to the neighbor to say, you know, we're, we're out. Um, we had put that in the contract already. 
I had done that last summer, um, stating that if we had drought-like conditions that, you know, we were able to, you know, give them a certain, uh, preferably a month notice, and that's what we did. So now we, we can focus on our breeding herd and hopefully be able to, you know, take smaller chunks out of that, not disturbing our genetics um, as to, you know, as compared to if, if we still had another three or 400 cows, which we did um, three years ago. Talk through a little bit. You mentioned three years ago, you had another 400 cows. Now you're, you've pulled back a little bit and have incorporated grazing some yearlings as part of the management of the ranch. What precipitated that decision and, and what flexibility does having some yearlings give you as you think about your drought plan? Uh, yes, you know, three, about three years ago, um, of course, I didn't foresee us being in the situation with the drought uh, so fast. I, I think you always know it's, it's on the horizon at some point, but it sure seemed like it came a lot quicker than I thought. Um, when we arrived, there was a lot of cows that were all the way up to 15 years old. There was a lot of bad bags. There, there was just some heavy culling that needed to be done. Another thing that we did is that we, uh, we also phased all of the commercial bulls we had on the ranch out uh, in two years. And now we lease our bulls. And um, this year, of course, we're, we're thrilled with that decision because we're not having to worry about what to do with those bulls the other 10 months of the year. So as we reduced the herd size and also decided to not retain our heifers, our desire was to be able to increase our cash flow. And we really wanted to see our cash flow increase from selling our calves and selling coals. You know, possibly you might have cash flow three times out of the year um, to getting to 10 months out of the year where we, we had something coming in because this ranch has really hit some hard times in the past 15, 10, 15 years with some estate taxes and other issues like that. So increasing the cash flow is really important, and that's why we looked at bringing in some some stockers. We wanted to keep the herd size at a certain amount so that we always had that borrowing power. You know that that our assets looked good, but we we wanted to, you know, get down to the point that we we felt comfortable on that end, and then we freed up the pasture on the other end. Um, so that we could bring in uh, bring in some some yearlings, and we like that flexibility. You know, we're we're set up for it well. Uh, Tom and I and his son Tyrell, we we all rope. We do things horseback. So, you know, if we're in Survey Valley checking our checking our pairs, it's you know you just go across the highway to the other pastures and check your yearlings. Um, there wasn't a lot of inputs with them because those yearlings, uh, the gentlemen took care of, of mineral, mineral salt, and then also any medicines that we need to doctor the calf. So, you know, since we were, we're all on salary and that's just part of our day, you know, the, the input costs were just so much less uh, when, I, when it came to bringing on those yearlings. As you look at the ranch resource and you look at the forage production that you generate there, 
what percent of the animal unit months or forage production, as you think about the whole year, is allocated to your core cow herd versus the amount that's allocated as flex cattle or your stocker yearlings? Uh, yeah, I just actually was, was kind of looking at that. Just backtracking a little bit, we were a little bit nervous. We did have some flexibility on how many yearlings we were going to take. I spent quite a bit of time uh, late last summer crunching some numbers to see what, what we were going to be able to take without um, overgrazing. And so I, I guess to answer your question that you just posed was that we've got um, the, the yearlings were, are 40% of the total head count that we would have grazing here the 1st of June. As you think about the demand of those yearlings, so they're going to be there roughly four months, three months. What would they typically graze in your summer program with the stalker yearling? Well, we, we really hit a good lick this year. And as I said, we weaned those calves in October and then we kept them for 45 days. Um, we had already talked to the, to the neighbor who runs and buys a lot of yearlings and um, he was interested in our calves. So he bought them um, the end of November. And then, um, you know, once he took possession of them, we, you know, we branded them with his brand and then we kept them here at the ranch um, on headquarters. So the income off of that 475, 500 calves, uh, you know, started the day we sold them to him. And so we were able to capture that on our own calves um, until April. And then our plan was to bring on another 425 heifers that he had to go through the summer until September. Uh, until September. So, um, so we were able to capture, you know, income on the, on the 475 until we shipped to them on the 2nd of April. Um, and I had just kind of pulled up, you know, we are losing $119,000 from April until September on what we had planned to have, you know, um, as cash flow on these yearlings. So the pasture that, that was going to be allocated for them now are going, you know, is, is going to be available to our cow herd. And, you know, and I, I just keep, you know, going back and tweaking numbers and looking and making sure that we're going to be okay. And I know it sounded a little confusing there for a minute when I said 475 calves, but we have 725 cows. We had leased out 225 cows last year, and they stayed down in Thedford. Um, but we have those cows back this year. However, on May 15th, we will ship them back down to Thedford where we have some forest ground and um, close to 1,000 acres on the ranch there. So. Anyways, this year we will be able to, you know, improve profits by by the sales of those other calves. Um, but we were really hoping to get that sales plus what we were going to get from from the yearlings. So up here in Thedford, uh, I need I need to put about 475 pairs plus bulls for that um, out on our summer ground, which is about close to 11,000 acres. So that's going to be about 22 acres a pair. We left things in pretty good shape last fall. So my gut tells me that we're going to be okay, but it's, it's going to be close. You know, if, it, if this 
continues into 2023, I, I feel as though we'll we'll have to do some, you know, some herd reduction. As you look at your ranch resources, are you pretty heavy on some meadows where you can put up hay, or what does that look like? Uh, yes, we do have some sub-irrigated meadows here. Um, we put up about uh, 2,300 bales last summer. The owner's been really good about keeping data from years in the past. So I, I wanted to see what we put up in um, 2012 during that drought. And we were around, I think, 1,600 bales. But looking from the precip from 2012 to, you know, comparing it to this year, we're a lot worse off on the first three months of the year. And we recently, actually just about two months ago, had a excavation company come in and clean one of our major ditches, trying to, you know, just get the water flowing a little bit better. I guess it just all depends on what what kind of groundwater, you know, is available this year to, to see how the hay production is going to be. We have some stockpiled hay, too. I, I've been keeping a close eye on that. Um, our, our plan is not to try and feed through the drought, but um, we could certainly, you know, we're predicting that we'll be feeding earlier. We'll have to bring those cows home from our summer country, which we usually don't bring them home until the 1st of December. And so I could see us bringing them home the 1st of October into November. So there's a good chance that we will have to feed a couple more months worth of hay. And as of right now, I've got 1,200 bales. Um, on the ranch. So we, we always try and stockpile, you know, at least 30% of a year's, you know, crop. So you've got some hay on hand, you've already committed to saving pasture that would normally be for yearlings for the cow-calf enterprise. Anything else as you go forward that you're thinking about, hey, if we get to this point, this is something else we're going to do to, to uh, try to keep the herd intact, but also think about managing our range resource. Yeah, as far as the herd goes, we're about ready. Next week, we're going to go through and and we're still calving right now um, and go ahead and get a hold of, you know, anything that has had calving difficulties and go ahead and get them off the ranch. Um, we've got a handful of uh, three-year-old heifers that were open that, that we retained in December uh, you know, kept on the ranch, and I think we're going to go ahead and let them go. Just, just trying to, you know, cl- clean it up a little bit. If things go, you know, get worse, then uh, we are really keeping an eye on what's going to be our latest calving cows, and probably going to, you know, put that 50, let's say, in a pasture. We have a lot of smaller pastures up uh, in the summer country. And so it wouldn't be a problem to maybe take that 50 head and, and put them in their own pasture, wean them with the other cows, let's say mid-September, if if things continue to be really tough, and that we would take those, um, those 50 head, you know, which were already late. And then you're looking at a dry summer, you could have some nutritional ramifications uh, on your breed up. And so that that group there kind of seems like it would be the one that we would be selling first. And then beyond there, 
um, that's that's the part of the plan that I need to sit down and reconvene with everybody. Um, it's just so hard to predict how bad it's it's going to be. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I think you know things I I've heard you say is you have had a plan in place. You were looking at forge production. You visited with other people like Lemoyne Daly and said, "Hey, you've been here before. You've seen this kind of circumstance." What did you do? You put a plan together. You looked at your forage demand. You had some flex cattle in that you've got some stalker yearlings that you could take, but you also had a drought clause that said, if we get to a certain point in time, we're going to pull the trigger. Uh, some carryover hay, uh, some classes of cattle that, uh, as you said, clean up or get off, moved off early weaning calves. All are things that you've talked about that you've got in place and then some trigger dates to go with that. Early on in our conversation, you mentioned just some of the emotion or things like that that can get into these kind of scenarios. And you mentioned having some dates in place and the value of that. Talk just a little more about trying to deal with the emotions that go with this kind of scenario, because I think oftentimes we get it caught in, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, it hasn't. And some of those options are off the table. But I guess just talk a little more about the value you see in having some decision points in place with already, I guess, in plan decisions that are going to be made and how you think that helps you in this kind of scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like the, the, the emotional or mental part of this is often overlooked. Uh, I think it's very easy to continue to pray for rain. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed and not want to have to face the really hard decisions that are going to uh, be presented. I mean, ranchers love their animals and they love their land. You know, it, it's heartbreaking to look out there and, and know that, you know, see everything so dry when we're typically greening it up. But for me, you know, the, the land it's, it's gone through this a lot more times than I have, and it's, it's very resilient. So I feel it's, it's our job to not push our luck with it. Um, it's really important for us to be good stewards of the land and make sure that we've got, you know, enough vegetation litter to grab any moisture that might come our way. Um, but on the emotional part, February was was pretty difficult as I dug deeper and deeper into it and and saw the black and white of the situation. But once I was able to present what I had gotten together with the owner and the accountant and Tom, then it felt as though, you know, our team was together that nobody was going to have to, you know, carry the burden all by themselves. I was the one that, that got on the phone and and had to let the the stalker guy know that uh, you know that he had a month and it, and it, it went very well. I was able to be very matter of fact about it, but I, I gave him a month, but he needed to make a decision you know quickly, and so it went from us thinking we'd have one more month of um, of cash flow to they were going to be gone in three days. So that week was pretty emotional, but, you know, none of us second guessed it. We knew what the facts were. We knew that, that, you know, 
if we didn't get rid of those yearlings just to keep the cash flow going, that we were going to have implications on our rangeland for years to come. And also that we would probably be forced to make decisions with our breeding herd that we didn't want to make. In talking to Mitch Stevenson from Scotts Bluff, Mitch had asked me to be a part of a of a Zoom meeting that uh, talked about uh, drought planning. Uh, Lemoyne Daly joined us, um, and, and Ty from the Sandhills Task Force joined us, and we're going to actually continue on with that meeting now that we are all encountering some trigger dates. And uh, I've asked a few other Sandhills ranchers to be on that and and to talk about the the mental part, the emotional part of it as well. And I really feel like ranchers need to know that there's always somebody to talk to. For me, I'm just the type of person, I'm very outgoing and I just pick up the phone and call, but a lot of ranchers might not um, feel comfortable doing that. So I, I just, I hope that they can turn to you, Aaron, or, um, you know, anybody with UNL um, to, you know, to get some support for that. Anything else, Aaron, you think would be valuable today as you think at the current circumstance and you think about what you've learned and, and what you're thinking about as you go forward? I have learned a lot and I wrestle with, you know, um, what's in the future all the time. Um, I, I just encourage, you know, people to really, you know, find out the hard, the hard data, that find that information that can help you set up a good drought plan, uh, like the trigger dates. You know, th- those are based on science. I mean, that's that's the precipitation that those plants need to be able to, you know, grow to maturity and be productive. Don't second guess those numbers when it says you should reduce your stocking rate by 30%. You know, if, if you think you're just going to power through it, you know, we just don't know when it's going to end. You know, they, they kind of are talking that we should start getting some moisture next fall. But what if that doesn't happen? I, I really want to be on the conservative side without, you know, I guess losing our assets, um, you know, just trying to be very mindful about the choices that we make. Well, Aaron, thanks again for your time. I appreciate just how you walked through with us, uh, how you developed your drought plan, the research you did, and also just appreciated hearing how you took an aggressive approach about communicating with your ranch team, having that conversation. I thought that's a key piece, I think, as you think about putting the drought plan into place, everyone's clear about what we're doing and why. And I think that's really, really valuable. So thanks again for your time today. Absolutely. I really appreciate you uh, asking me to share our story. And um, yeah, if there's anybody out there that would would like to look at my ranch drought plan, um, I, I would absolutely share it with anybody. Uh, it might be a good template to start with. So um, yeah, thank you very much. Well, for more information on drought planning, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, there are a number of resources on this topic. Also, if you do have questions around developing a drought plan, uh, we mentioned Dr. Mitch Stevenson. He's at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center. Also, there are extension educators in the Sandhills who are up on this as well. 
And so I'd encourage you to contact them and uh, just get more information if you're thinking about needing to put together a drought plan or thinking about what your options may be in light of the current circumstances.